word is with God, the word was God. Um, but then when God takes that logos and he speaks directly to you, um, then that's rhema. He speaks to you. So um, the illustration I use today is, uh, you know, that sign right there on the back wall says exit. And that applies to everyone. It is an exit, in case of fire, for everyone. But if I say to you, get up out of your chair and go out that door right now, then I'm speaking. That's rhema. Okay, so the generalized word is for everyone. But if I speak directly to an individual and tell them what to do with that very same logos, it becomes rhema, the direct communication. So when we come together and we pray, we're looking at the logos, but we're longing for the rhema. We want the Lord to speak to us from it and guide us. Um, there are inappropriate teachings regarding rhema. Uh, word of faith movement dwells on that term rhema. And they say that, oh, hey, I've had a profound imagination that has nothing to do with the word of God, but it's my personal rhema. And uh, they literally say in the school of rhema, the word of faith movement, that the rhema can override the logos. No, no, that's not true at all. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you, can, you don't get to nullify the logos with your personal revelation. So we're here tonight looking at 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to look at the logos, but we're looking for that rhema for us personally. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, we've read down to verse 4. We're going to do it again in order to move forward. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So specifically referring to Jesus Christ as the word of life. These are the things that we've handled. John is the last living witness of Jesus Christ's life and ministry. And then in verse 2, the life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. So we talked about how the Gnostics were warping the truth of God's word, trying to introduce into Christianity things that were false. And John is combating a lot of that in what he's declaring here in these books. So we'll read uh, a little more of that in regard to those specific combative teachings and passages that he gives to destroy their thinking and their arguments here. But I want to dwell on that last statement in verse 4. Where we left off, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now, a number of the things that we read in the verses that are following, a lot of people use to rob us of our joy, right? They uh, interpret them in ways that were never intended. It is a complex passage in the Greek language, and then when rendered into the English, uh, you end up with some things that could make you feel really terrible about yourself. <clears throat> it was Charles Spurgeon that said, in regard to 1 John chapter 1, whole sermons can be taught from the tense of the word. So how these things are specifically described of continuation and what you dwell in and stay in and practice. What tense are these verbs given to us? You know, continuous, constant, past, present. Uh, so we need to look at those things as they were written in the Greek language, in their context. Don't know Greek, know how to use a lexicon really well. So we're going to move through this and just get the English understanding that we need from these passages. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the walking in darkness, right, already you can start to feel yourself stumble. Like, I walk in darkness. You know, I'm not a perfect Christian. 
I think that really what you would say is that you stumble from time to time into darkness and that you uh, are really scared of being in the dark spiritually and you really don't like dwelling in the dark spiritually, living in sin, right? You know, you, you may... You may have a bad day, bad days, bad week, where, you know, people around you even start to say, like, where is your focus? You know, like, where is the word of God in your life, man? What is going on with you? You know, and, and that's the sense of you're a child of God. You're, you're a child of light, right? Okay, make it a little easier to understand, perhaps. Remember when you used to live in darkness spiritually? Every moment, every day, like people might have even said, whoa, you're dark, you know. You, in your whole existence, dwelt there. It was your life. Not so now. We've departed from that way of living. We've come out of that way of living. And we walk in the light. Now, darkness plagues us. Our flesh is sinful. Things can catch up. We can neglect. We can let things burn out. And we end up in the dark. And like I said, we don't like it. Rekindle a flame, right? Get back to the word. Tune to the right, you know, worship station. You know, go back to church. Uh, Call a friend. Get into the light. Reignite what the Lord uh, created in you. It's the idea of dwelling in the darkness. And that's the word walk. Okay? It's the idea of continuation. We, we get this sense, we understand this sense from, right, the Christian walk, right? Uh, Christianity originally wasn't even referred to as Christianity. It was only referred to as the way, right? The way that Christians lived. They followed the way of Jesus. So it was that sense of walking, right? What does the word Tell us, right, uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it guides us. It keeps us in the walk. It's not, right, daylight. It's not, you know, just fully illuminated everything uh, around us. It is a dark world. And if you walk in the light, right, through this dark world, as Christ is the light, this is what this is talking about. You know, if this bothers you on either side of this, right, if you're thinking like, no, I always walk in the light. uh, Well, let a few of us inform you, okay, because you don't. All right. We we all struggle with this. And probably what you are is highly legalistic and very critical of of other people. You think you walk in the light and actually you don't. You probably are emanating darkness a lot of the time. With your legalism. With your harshness, right? It feels like you're trying to extinguish my light. When you're talking like that, when you're blowing on my candle, leave me alone, right? I got a hard enough time. No, yeah, yeah, keep going, buddy. You'll see this light go out, and then we'll both be in darkness, and won't that be pleasant? You know what I'm saying? We need, right, to understand that the illumination that Christ provides us. You've seen that thing? where the candle gets extinguished and the smoke is curling off it and you light the match and you just get close and it goes and starts right back up. Tell me it's not that way with you, right? Sometimes you walk in here smoldering, you know, and you make my eyes sting, you know, and uh, then you get close to somebody and poof, you're reignited and thank goodness, you know, literally thank goodness. And you can walk in the light again, right? You can leave here with a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, right? It's not a brilliant halogen light that illuminates the whole world and projects a gajillion miles down the road so that everyone is guided by your illumination. It's not that at all. It's just what you need to walk on your path. That's all we're ever given. The Word of God, the illumination in our lives. And boy, when a cluster of us get together, you know, we can light the place up with what Christ is doing in our lives. And by the way, I'm really ticked off about the leak from the Supreme Court over the striking down of Roe versus Wade, but I'm 
simultaneously overjoyed that the light of life has been reignited in our nation and that abortion on demand at least has been struck down you know and that each of these states will have to go through how incredibly wicked that that was leaked right because that was the full intention of those that did that to create such an upheaval that it would change the decision of the court i'm glad to hear that they've launched a full investigation and that they're talking right now that they're going to punish with the full extent of the law the ones who leaked that out of the Supreme Court. And I pray to God they do. I pray to God. First time in American history a Supreme Court decision has been leaked before it has been announced to the public. So, um, you know, 1.3 million children annually murdered through the abortion process because it was abortion on demand. And, uh, you know, now it will return to each state's decision. That, you know, while we're still going to be burdened with the fact that you can still get abortion here in America, it's going to slow people down dramatically. It's going to save boundless lives in the process. It will make people be more responsible with what they're doing with their bodies and with their lives here in this situation. And I think the Lord will also honor the national decision in that you'll see his punishment delved out on the states who continue to hold to that wicked practice. And the ones who abandon it, I think the Lord is going to bless them. I think that he is. So um, light, simply the, the thought of evil and wickedness and light led me off course there. And we're back to... If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So right in the beginning of this, right there, you need to be cleansed from all sins. That's present tense. You're going to need to continuously, present tense, be cleansed from your sins. So if we take an inappropriate interpretation of this, like I'm going to be perfect and I'm not going to sin and I'm going to walk in the light and there will be nothing but illumination and and there won't be any faltering, then, then why do we need to continuously be cleansed from our sins? Why is this a present tense ongoing? Right, Because we're human and we're going to continue to struggle with sin until we leave here. It's the idea, and he uses the term in these passages about practicing sin and it is the sense right walking in sin a continual process a non-stop thing the practicing of sin is the same sense of practicing your violin practicing your backhand practicing your cast you know so that you get better and better at it remember when you used to practice sin <laughs> you know how to get away with it how to do it how to get more intoxicated how to get you are you're getting better and better at it all the time your sin you are practicing it and that's literally what it means a constant pursuit of that habitual practice in order to improve it okay we don't do that anymore right you may turn around and realize oh i got it all over me again and you're disgusted with it and you go through the cleansing process and you confess and you depart from it. And the Lord is always gracious with us. He's always there to alleviate us from it, it right? It's never a pass, right? The Lord doesn't look at us and go, oh, well, I mean, you're going to screw up. So don't worry about it. Just go ahead. Just screw up, right? Well, we do that. Listen, we do that in our culture. That's the whole thing of toleration that's going on in our culture, right? Where one sinful person looks over at the next sinful person and says, I'm not going to condemn you. Why? Because I don't want to be condemned myself. Because I live in my sin, and that's just your sin you're living in. So, hey, here, I'll approve of you, and you approve of me, and we'll just do whatever we want. Won't that be great? Yeah, no, it's going to produce horrible things. 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. How did Jesus walk in the light? Perfectly, openly, unbroken. Well, how do you walk in the light? Perfectly, unbroken, letting it expose even your sin. It isn't that you're sinless. It's that you go, oh, that's right. That was my flesh. I lost my temper right there. You're, that is sinful. You're right. Please forgive me. That, that's what that's about. It isn't about being perfect. And those of us that think that way, that's why we're so frustrated with ourselves and everyone else around us. Because without even realizing it, we're acting like, oh, no, it's possible to be perfect. <laughs> when in fact, it's impossible. You're never going to be perfect. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And listen, there are various degrees of this inside Christianity. There are literally people that believe and teach inside Christianity. It's possible to become perfect. It's possible to become sinless. I'm, I'm, I have I, um, worked in audio, video technologies for years, I've described this to us before. I'll try to just skip over the bulk of it. I got hired to run this huge 24-bay digital mixing board for this uh, ministry. Uh, I put the air quotes around that. Um, they're doing this satellite uplink. And uh, I realize midway through the day as we're working on this broadcast that they're a cult. And that they have this teaching that they believe they're all sinless now. And um, it, it's interesting because I'm in a production meeting in the middle of the afternoon where we make this plan for the evening's broadcast. How um, because uh, we're broadcasting this thing worldwide for this ministry, um, the call center that they the people so they're 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 doing the morning broadcast and the that call center where they're receiving donations for their ministry uh is closed by the time we get around to like the 10:30 evening broadcast so all of the phone calls are being directed to a different call center so we make the plan that like we have to have you know make sure Johnny was the uh, director. We got to make sure that the 800 numbers on the character generation that we put up on the screen are the evening's call center. We don't want to make the mistake and put the morning's call center because nobody's going to be in that call center, right? The place where they're calling into now is on the other side of the world that's going to receive all this. So we go through all this process of planning how we're going to do this. And that evening <clears throat> when we do the broadcast, Right as we're about to close the session, this, you know, again, minister uh, gets up with his microphone. And um, just a minute, Johnny, just a minute. Um, if we can have the cameras over here. Uh, the Holy Spirit has just laid it on my heart that we should accept donations one more time. I know we weren't going to do it, but but can we go ahead? Do we have 1-800 numbers? Can we put those up on the screen? He's acting like it wasn't a plan. He's acting like this is the Holy Spirit, just impromptu. And I'm like, like I want to be as far away from that guy as I can because the lightning bolt could fall any moment. You know what I'm saying? He's blaming this on the Holy Spirit. He's lying. We ha he and I have this quasi-argument at lunch in the middle of the afternoon where he's insisting I'm perfect, I never sin anymore, and then that evening he's lying. To everyone who will listen to him. I confront him after that, and that, oh no, that's not a lie. Oh well, yes, it is. You know what I'm saying? And the rest of the world knows it is, and you're the only one that doesn't. And this is literally what this is saying. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The way it's written out in the Greek language is much more complex. It's literally saying if the sin we commit we say is not sin, and he goes into that in more length, then we deceive ourselves. Okay? You are a sinner. I am a sinner. It is the grace of God that saves us. That, that's how we are saved. 
You know, again, it isn't a pass. You don't get to be like, whoo, there, well, I'm a sinner, and now I don't have to struggle against it anymore. I'll just give in and do whatever I want to. That's not what's being said. You're supposed to walk in truthfulness, open confession, and leave behind those habitual things that you continued in, unbroken, practiced, and got better at. That's not supposed to be part of your life anymore. But when we sin, Christ is our cleansing. Christ is our forgiveness. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Boy, we should all know that verse, right? 1 John 1.9 is something we should all cling to. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Hey, man, you just sinned. No, I did. That's not a sin. <laughs> yeah, it is. Is Jesus a liar? Because Jesus says what you just did is a sin. So if you're saying it's not, then you're calling Jesus a liar. That's a serious offense. It's, it's important throughout this whole process to understand what it is that John is trying to encourage us, encourage us with. He's not writing this to us to condemn us and bring us down. He's, he's writing to us to say to us, you have the constant acceptance of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, you're filthy, rotten, even. Who has departed from that filthy, rotten living. And you're going to have to rely upon the continuous cleansing of Jesus Christ in order to experience his salvation. It's, again, not a call to go back to those things. 1 John chapter 2, verse one, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Now, we'll, we'll clarify the tense within all of this, but he does this a couple times in who he's addressing. And let me just say this. It's each one of these things is to every one of us. OK, so you don't read this and think, oh, well, that's a nice message for the children. All right. This is John who's in his high 90s at this point, calling everyone in the room little children, right? i just having a conversation with a brother in ministry who's in his late 70s and uh, talking about the things going on in ministry in my life. And he says, well, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 53. Oh, you're young, he says. And he just, you know, trails on with, you know, he's saying you got a lot of miles left. You know, and so it is, you know, when you're 90 something, you can look back at everybody else and say, you're kids, you know, <laughs> you just compared to. So, you know, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And that's the idea of that you may not live in sin, that you would depart from a sinful life, that you would depart from the life of sin. You need to find your freedom. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. You're the children. Understand, loving Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is your advocate within the Father, right? The one who would be capable of prosecuting you and condemning you is the one who paid for it. I just that image of the courtroom has been painted many times you know you're guilty and your lawyer is jesus and you know we say the father is the one who's the judge but really jesus is the judge you know so if you're in court that day and there's the devil saying he's guilty she's guilty and there's your lawyer saying Father, um, he's guilty, but uh, everything has already been paid. And then Jesus is up on the throne saying, oh, okay, so everything's been paid. And then he's down here saying, yeah, I'm the one who's paid. This is a rigged court on our behalf, right? That, that everything is covered by our, our judge, our jury, our lawyer. They're all on one team. The devil loses. 
The devil loses. We win. He himself is a propitiation, the payment of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Listen, I just had a lengthy discussion with a person this week about Calvinism versus Armenianism once again. Okay, and you know, the Reformed churches are all getting wound up again about, you know, Tulip and, you know, Calvinism and the five points and which side of this are you on and which side of that are you on. And honestly, you guys, it is nothing more than division within the church. That's all it is, right? Is God sovereign? Absolutely. Do you have choices you need to make? Absolutely. It's not one or the other. It's both, right? Well, you could lose your salvation. Well, I think that you better abide in Christ. You know, you don't want to depart from Christ and be cut off and thrown into the fire, right? John is going to say later here of the false teachers, but it would apply to anyone who leaves the faith. They went out from us because they never were of us. Had they been of us, they would abide with us. You want to know whether you're the chosen? Come on in. Stay. <laughs> Don't leave. You know, I'm screwing up real bad. Stay anyway. Stay in Christ. Abide in Him. Let Him cleanse you. Let Him purify you. Let Him prune you. And you will become fruitful in the process. I don't know if you know this, <clears throat> especially with grapevines. They draw all the sunlight, all the nutrient out of the ground, all the sunlight that they can through photosynthesis process. And they divide, the vine divides its growth if they're not kept properly evenly between wood growth and fruit bearing. The only way that you produce more fruit is if you have a vine dresser who knows how to cut the vine back because then all that excess energy and nutrient goes into fruitfulness pruning by the part of our heavenly father makes us more fruitful it's not pleasant stuff does get cut off but in the end the fruitfulness is the desire you know he cuts away the things that need to go. We have this advocate. He is the payment, not only, but the, the whole world. The, the, the Calvinists want to say Jesus only died for the elect. He died for the whole world. When you see that the, Jesus paid the price for the whole world, all of the Calvinists want to say, yeah, but really what that means is the elect. Well, why didn't the Holy Spirit write that? Because this says the whole world. We just read Peter telling us that Jesus Christ paid for the false teachers who are going to end up in hell. He paid the price for them. They're not going to cash the check and they're going to suffer the punishment. But his payment covers everyone's debt anyone's debt and this whole issue of calvinism versus armenianism doesn't do anything but divide the church against itself i'm not interested in that and to that end listen to me as your pastor listen to me i'll work with my calvinist brothers i don't care if they're willing to work with me i'll work with them i'll work with my armenian brothers where it's appropriate i don't care that's their issue I'm not going to get into, oh, well, I can't work with you. You're, you're a Calvinist. No. That's exactly what my enemy wants, is for us to be divided against. Now, if we get to have a discussion about who's right, then I'll let them be wrong. You know what I'm saying? So that we're not divided. Christ has called us together. He paid for the sins of the whole world. Now, by this, we know that we know him. Ready? By this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, right? So now you're going to have to go to church on Saturday. <clears throat> and you're not going to be able to eat pork, right? And you're not going to be able to wear any mixed fabric. 
You know, I don't know if you know that's part of the law, right? You can't you can't wear like forty uh, percent polyester and sixty percent cotton blend. This is singular fabric, and really the way it's written, like whatever you choose, if you're wearing polyester, it has to be all the same kind of polyester, and your whole outfit has to be that way. Maybe that's why those televangelists do that. I don't know, but anyway, <clears throat> all polyester. So um, no, no blend in that at all. What, what is the law that we're to keep? Right, Twofold, right? Jesus fulfilled the rest of the Levitical law. And the portion that he assigned to us is twofold. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you will take a day of rest. Whatever day that is for you. It's better if you do it on Sunday because we're all here on Sunday. And man, we love to see you. You know, and Sunday night and Wednesday night. If you can, if you want to, if you're so inspired, you know, to be with the body of Christ. That's that's good. I don't know why you would ever want to eat a bat or a mole, um, you know. But, you know, if you want to, you are a Gentile, I suspect, and it's not forbidden. It is forbidden for the Jews, um, but if they're in Christ, then there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Why do we get all mixed up about these things? Christ finished the law for us, right? The superior came after the inferior, right? It didn't nullify it, but it did make it obsolete, right? We don't have to go back to the law. That is the very first miracle Jesus does, right? Water to wine, that the superior comes after the inferior. That was like the bookmark stamp of his whole ministry. The superior has arrived, right? Doing away with the inferior, no longer. Did it nullify it? No, right? Did it disavow it? No. Do we have to follow it? No. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. As a result of loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's really quite simple. You know, specifically, they wrestle over the issue, Acts chapter 15, right? Jerusalem Council, what's the conclusion? And those Jews write to the Gentiles and they say, abstain from idolatry, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And stay away from sexual immorality, right? Because that's just abusing your neighbor and taking advantage of them. You're just thinking about yourself in that process. Stay away from these two things. It's so interesting because when you're reading through Acts chapter 15, the apostles declare, you know, they say, I'm paraphrasing, to the other Jews present, if we continue in like manner as the Gentiles, we'll get saved the same way they're being saved. That's a remarkable statement. He doesn't flip it around and say, you know, if those Gentiles get their act together, they can get saved like we are. He says, James, right, leader of the church, says, if we as Jews continue in the faith the way that they are, we'll be able to get saved like them. What a remarkable thing. How wise the Holy Spirit speaking through them, showing us this whole thing that we're called to. So, <clears throat> by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And you know what it's like when you don't commit yourself to the Lord, when you do not love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, when you're not in the Word daily, when you're not growing in Him, you begin to drift. You begin to fall away. You begin to crumble and deteriorate. You become less like Jesus and more like yourself with every passing minute. And it's painful for you and everyone else around you. It's a horrible process. If we keep the commandment and we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, then we automatically love one another. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Hey, we've experienced those people personally, 
directly, indirectly, from afar, right? You know, Oprah Winfrey declares, I'm a child of God. I don't think so. Based upon your love of the false religions and your encouragement of people to follow after pagan gods, I don't think so. I don't think you truly love the Lord. You don't keep his commandments. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God, is perfected in him. And boy, that could really make you feel like a creep. Because the word means completed. It's not the sense of perfect like we think of it. Not at all. This isn't us trying to redefine this here. Uh, Those that read this from the Greek language translated it with the understanding that it meant whole or finished. The idea of being completed. It's not the idea of what we think of. Whoever keeps his word truly the love of God is completed in him. It's not not a matter of being without flaw or faultless. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Right? Continuously, honestly, uprightly. No deception. And like I said, that includes when you, when I have been sinful, when we own it. Jesus didn't ever have to make that confession. Right? He just walked openly, honestly, upright, without flaw. And so we have to walk openly, honestly, upright, and declare our flaw. You know, to say to the world, yes, I'm human, please forgive me, and I will do my best to not be human like I was just then. You know, allowing ourselves the opportunity for correction. We need to walk as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. This is nothing new, not creating something new. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Nothing new, nothing new, but it's new (laughs) in that it is in Christ and all things are passing away. We've crested over the ridge, you know, built all the way to the cross, Same message, same message. It's just now we're on the other side of that slope and we see things differently. It's the same promise. It's the same faith. It's the same love, right? Had a big discussion uh, with a person probably more than a month ago now about how were Old Testament believers saved? (laughs) Their mindset was by keeping the law. I take them right to Paul saying that the father of our faith, Abraham, was saved by grace, right? Not of works, lest any man would boast. It's always been grace. Always. Do we have a different understanding of it today because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Certainly. But it's always been grace. Nothing has changed all throughout history. You know, you listen to certain preachers, And they will literally say, you should never share your faith with Jews. Why? Well, because they have the Abrahamic covenant. So their salvation comes through the Abrahamic covenant. No, it doesn't. It comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It always has. In the Old Testament, they died hoping for it. In the New Testament, we died having received it. It's the same faith. It's the same grace. No one in the Old Testament kept the law to the point where God said, yeah, let that one in. And then the next, oh yeah, and that guy too, you know. And and both of those guys, you know. That's not how it went. They were all looking, right? What did the blood of the sacrifices do? It covered their sin. We get to Jesus and it removes our sin. Okay, It was an admission of guilt all along the way. 
The animal sacrifices were symbolic of Jesus' coming sacrifice. Jesus' coming sacrifice fulfills these things, and it's grace that saves us all in the end. Animal sacrifice or Jesus' sacrifice, it's grace that saves us. So, yeah, we're not writing anything new to you, but by the way, we're writing something new to you (laughs) because you've crested over that view, and you can now have the fuller understanding of what these things are. You know, the darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining, right? What true light? Well, there's several aspects to it, but I would point quickly to the resurrection, right? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, right? The dawning light of Jesus' glory, his power over death. He defeated every foe in the process. We don't see them all under his feet presently, but they will be, and we have the assurance of his resurrection to show us that. So we have a newness and that understanding. He who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Now let's just get some clarity on this. It has quite a broad understanding, but if you take the clarity of those that say they love God, but they're not Christians, let's just get really blunt. Like, oh, you know, I'm deeply spiritual, you know, some new ager that thinks their connection with the universe is the same as I just, I love God. I'm a very godly person. Then you tell them that you're a born again Christian and they just flare into a rage, right? Oh, I I don't think you actually love God if you hate his children, right? Who have been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. If, If you have a hatred for the true children of God, please don't tell me you love God. You know, we can get down into some, you know, more difficult places to decipher inside Christianity where people have animosity towards other members of Christianity. But usually what you find out is over time, because they are actually brothers and sisters, they sort that out, right? Somebody's done some wrong and somebody should have apologized and nobody did. Now people are all flared up at one another and, you know, whatever. Uh, But then you dig deep and you find out they both love Jesus Christ and watch them, watch them over time. Things simmer down and they over time. No, how about uh, Paul and Barnabas? Right? John Mark. John Mark failed miserably, man. Miserably. You know, come with us. We'll go on a missionary journey. Great, me too. And along they go. And now they're really dependent upon him. And right as their dependence upon him is at its most critical point. I want to go home. Right now? (laughs) You know? Well, what do you mean you want to go home? This isn't like we just go down to the terminal and buy you a plane ticket. You're a young man that we're now responsible for, that we've got to you know, make sure you get home safely in a very violent world, inside you know, some of the most prim- primitive sailing vessels the world's ever seen. You just, you just set off a hand grenade in the middle of a massive missionary journey. And so now we're going to go on another missionary journey. And uh, Barnabas, Uncle Barnabas, is like, yeah, and we'll take Mark. And Paul's like, not happening, man. No way are we doing that again. Great conflict. But then at the end of Paul's life, right, Paul writes that letter from prison and says, please send Mark to me. He does so much good for me. Right. You can. How did the healing take place? How long did it take? Variable, you know, opinions about all that. Bottom line is they're all brothers. It gets sorted out in the end. You may see some flare ups. You may see some difficulties. I think it's more easy to understand when you get to that issue I first described of those that that want to act like that they love God when they don't know God at all. And they have a great hatred for born-again Christians, those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I specifically overheard a woman who was dealing with that years ago. She's talking about how much she loved God. And I didn't realize she was talking in the new age sense of thing. 
Because just a moment later, when somebody mentioned that they were a Christian, she just flared with born-again Christian. Those guys, brah, vulgarity, filth, foul, wow. Like, I don't think you love God. If you are demonstrating that much hatred, those that say they love God but hate the children of God, that's probably going to be a massive conflict for anyone that would say that sort of thing. It's uh, something that also should lend great clarity to you as to who is a believer and who is not. If they have hatred for the body of Christ, they almost certainly are not a child of God. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who or excuse me, he who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I think one of the ways that I see this clearly also within the body of Christ is when people just they they have sort of that whimsical uh, tone of their voice, they just love, you know, the body of Christ, just, just so in love. With it. And then they do terrible things to people inside the body of Christ. An example, you know, uh, a guy that uh, we had to deal with years ago who was, uh, you know, contractor who was abusing the body of Christ, taking advantage of people financially, you know, doing shoddy work, taking big paychecks, not finishing jobs, just burning every... You don't love the body of Christ if you're taking advantage of widows. You need to be called out, confronted by the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs to be made aware of who you are and how to avoid you. If you're burning the body of Christ, taking advantage of them, hurting them, that's not love. I say, oh, I love the body of Christ. I just love you. I love fellowship. I love you. You you love the money that you're taking from people. It's really unfortunate to see people behave that way. Love needs to express itself properly. Uh, lots of examples. You can figure out your own illustrations in regard to all of that. If you say you love the body of Christ, then you need to love them. That's how it is. 2 verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father, and I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Very detailed, but also very poetic. And it does apply to all of us, right? Because you might be thinking of yourself as the elder father, but uh, the elder John is writing to you as a child. You might be thinking of yourself as, you know, not the young man. You know, those days are past. Well, if you're John... Those days are past. <laughs> and he's looking at you and I in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, or wherever you are, and saying, no, you're still young. And you get time to conquer and time to use your strength. So you can find yourself in each of these descriptions. You shouldn't assign yourself to one segment of that. Yeah, I'm the young man. Well, you might be older and be able to explain to your younger brothers how to rely upon God, the Heavenly Father, when they're in need. You know, there's difficult things in this world, right? Broken homes, one of the biggest plagues of our culture and society. Many young men and women that need the Heavenly Father to fill a role in their lives. All of us can encourage them. Whether we be a child, whether we be a young man, or an older person. The Lord uses all of these things in our lives and lets us fill each of these roles. 2.15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Do not love the world. Uh, really hard to do. Really hard to do. It is constantly sinking our hooks into us. And you have to be on your guard, and you have to pull them out, and you have to avoid them at all costs. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lust of the flesh, that which comes natural to you, that is a desire of your flesh, that compels you to do things, right? Jesus' temptation as he fasts for 40 days. You reach 40 days in fasting, not that I've ever done it, but you reach 40, I've gone weeks, but you reach 40 days of fasting and there is a strange occurrence, I am told, by medical personnel and I have one friend who fasted for 40 days. <clears throat> um, he drank things, uh, but he took no solid food for 40 days and uh, he lost 38 pounds in 40 days and did it with the guidance of medical staff, doctor in particular, who told him, you're going to reach that 35 to 40 day mark and your hunger is going to kick back in in a way you've never experienced before in your life. Uh, it shuts off about the seven day period and you have... Some waves that come and go, but the real incessant hunger is gone until you hit 35, 38, 40 days. And that's because your body is now digesting itself to survive, particularly your heart muscle, your liver, and your kidneys. It'll also attack your lungs. It really starts to break down the vital organs of your body. Literally, massive doses of enzyme to start dissolving and taking nutrient right out of them. You're dying. Your body knows that. So it flips the lever on the hunger signal and just says, I know we've shut down the entire digestive tract and nothing's been functioning for weeks now, but we got to turn this back on because if you do not eat, death is on our doorstep. Jesus Christ has that compulsion at 40 days and the devil shows up and says, why don't you turn these stones into bread, right? Um, practical application, loneliness, desire for companion and a spouse. And here's the scripture saying, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and is blessed of the Lord. Not if it's the right person not if it's the wrong time that natural compulsion the lust of the flesh flipped on for the wrong person at the wrong time very detrimental lust of the flesh right a a god-given desire to consume what would destroy you Right? We, we think of these things. Right? It's very easy when you talk about drug addiction. Very easy when you talk about alcoholism. You know, something your flesh wants that you consume and destroys you. But there are so many things that the flesh wants that if they aren't God's plan, aren't God's timing, they do terrible things. Terrible things. I, I don't know how many times I've sat with young people who are like praying their heart out about God, give me this person. I just want this person. You know, I want to get married. And now that they're married, they say, God, let me get rid of this person. How do I, you know, just please, please, please. You know, is it, I've seen it over and over again. And there's lots of, oh God, please let me buy this house. How, Lord, how do I sell this house? How do, you know what I'm saying? Why did I buy this truck? Lord God, save me. You know, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, didn't want it at all, saw it, sudden, overpowering desire. So just, yeah, I mean, you got to like just blind yourself because you, you didn't, you weren't even thinking along those lines. And now your eye has taken it in and you can't, you cannot peel your eyes off in it. 
He's just going back, going back. Got to have it. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Pride of life, that issue of saying, oh, look what I have. Look what I've accomplished. Look, I just, I got to keep going, keep building, keep getting, keep acquiring. Pride, look at me. Look what I've got. These things beset us so easily. So, so many different ways. It's weird how you turn around and it's like in your hand. You're like, how did this get me? You know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's the same thing that Lucifer used on Eve in the garden, right? Lust of the flesh. God tell you you can't eat of the tree? Yeah. Well, you know why he told you that? Because if you eat of the tree, you're going to be like him. Her strongest internal desire is God. He comes every day in the cool of the day, walks with them in the garden, talks to them. Her strongest internal desire is God. You'll be like God. Are you kidding me? I will be like God? Look at the tree. She sees that it was good to eat and that she would acquire knowledge, pride of life. Look how smart I, I have become like God. And she takes of it. And guess what? He's using the same three tools on me and the same three tools on you. He's not even inventive. He doesn't have to be. Why? Because we're that stupid. I just jam this right in here and turn. Look, look what they do. <laughs> Every time. It's crazy. Watch. I'll do it in this one. You know what I'm saying? Without God. Giving us the strength and the wisdom and the resistance. We just cave in. We just cave in. It has to be that we're living and walking and desiring differently. That He's changed us. He's overhauled us. You've got to have a different nature. This is your nature. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. This is your nature. My illustration is always the magnet and the BBs. Set the huge, powerful magnet on the table. Pour the BBs out way over here. And they all go, bang. Many times as you pour them out, they go right over here. Clean them all off. Get every last one out of the way. And take the jar full of plastic pellets and pour them out. Nothing. Right next to it. Pour them on and they scatter away. By nature, they're not drawn to the thing. We have to be made different. This is what Jesus is saying about you must be born again. Your nature has to change. you got to be created anew. In that, right, you always have that little bit of metal mixed in. <laughs> so you've got to resist, right? You can't, you're never going to be free of that. Why? Because you're still flesh. Until you have exited the flesh. Oh, do we long for that day. Come up here. <laughs> I am longing to hear that. And I don't care how it comes, frankly. Kill me dead right now. Take me home. Peel the sky back and call my name. Take me into the presence of the Lord and be done with this so so need do not love the world all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world the world is passing away and the lusts of it he who does the will of god abides forever if we will get free of these things i had a long discussion with a man years ago who was obsessed with his vehicles. Just got to have a mate. And I mean, we all got to have a vehicle. No, I'm not anti-vehicle. right? But just got to have the biggest, the baddest, the best. And he's convinced himself, no, I do this as my ministry. I don't think so. You know, it's because the young guys 
are attracted to it. And so then when they want to talk to me about my truck, I talk to them about the Lord. Uh, you can talk to anybody about the Lord anytime you want to, really. I mean, just, you know how it's done? It's by done by opening your mouth. You know what I'm saying? Anywhere. Anywhere. You know, just at the coffee shop, in the town square, on the bus, you know, in your car. Just open your mouth and start talking about Jesus. You know, may be really awkward. People may hate you for it, but, you know, the checkout line works. You just start talking. Find ways. You know, my friends, some of you guys have met uh, Ray Torrey. He's from Calvary Chapel in Seneca Falls, New York. And Ray never stops, never stops sharing Jesus. Everywhere we go. I just astonished by it. Even as a pastor, I was astonished by it. This guy, and he doesn't make anybody feel awkward. He he just starts talking to them about whatever's going on with them. Right? People like to talk about themselves. So get talking to them about them and themselves and what they're doing. And then bring it right around to what he's doing. You know, he's just saying, I serve the Lord. Got it? Got it? Just whatever. It's John's fault. Right there. He did not tell us to put our phones on silent when the service began. I had to do my own. He didn't even remind me. I was well. Right under the bus. Just like <laughs> oh. Share Jesus with the world and forget about the world simultaneously. The things that will lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We all, we all are hooked by these things. And so we need to understand that about ourselves and constantly shun them. Just shun them. You know, it's as simple as just going, oh, well, there it is in my life. <laughs> Guess I got to get rid of that. It's that simple. That's walking in the light. It is just confessing our sins, you know, because he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, from all unrighteousness. You know, Lewis Neely is a pastor of Warehouse Ministry. He's the one that always says, you know, all in the Greek is all aminicus. It means all. It's lame. Totally weird. It's the truth. It's everything, man. If give you all, all unrighteousness, what is it? What besets you? Yours is different than mine, right? You might look at mine and think you're a freak. <laughs> I might look at you and think you know you're kind of weird. You know, so just confess your sins. He's faithful and just, and he'll forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God is so good to us. All the time. So good to us. And that's that's what John's trying to tell us, right? Verse 4, where we started, where we left off last week, that your joy may be full. None of this is written so that you can walk out going, I am such a loser. I can't even believe. I am so much worse than the rest of those people in that room. Maybe you are. Seriously, maybe you are. Praise God. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you can walk out the door with your joy full. Christ loves you. Christ loves you. Present tense. He's not looking at you going, I'm, I'm, I'm about to love you. I'm not kidding. Like, you're going to get it together. And man, I'm going to be all over you. You're not even going to recognize. It's going to be amazing. But just for right now, I mean, you're nuts. So, you know, that's not where he's at. He loves you present tense. This, this is his character. This is who he is. This, is. this is my heavenly father. And whether you recognize it or not, it's your heavenly father. This is how much he loves you. Right? Even if you've been walking, practicing, living in darkness, he loves you right now and wants you to confess so he can forgive and cleanse. This is the character of our father. And this is our elder brother. Every one of us are little children in John's eyes. right? He walked with Jesus. And this is the elder man at the end of his life saying, you got to understand. 
You can know that you have salvation. Know that you have salvation. You can have your joy fulfilled. You can know that you know God. These things are assured to us. Let the Lord bless you. Let him comfort you. Let him carry you through these circumstances. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, that's the time we have, so why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father God, we are grateful for your love and your grace and your acceptance. Help us to be men and women that walk in the truth, that walk in the light, who accept your grace and your forgiveness, Lord. We are so grateful for who you are, for what you do, for the way that you care for us. Please bless us, keep us, watch over us, provide for us, protect us. Until we're together again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.